Hello, and welcome to the 100th episode of the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, live AMA edition. We are live streaming on Facebook and YouTube to all corners of this bare earth. And I am your host, Stuart Butler, joined today with Pete DeMeo. Hey, everybody. And who's down there? Jeremy Razuk. What's up? And Melissa Kavanaugh. Howdy ho. And Phil Fariska. Hey. And these are your fueligans that will be with you for the next hour or so as we try to answer your questions. We've already had a lot that was submitted via our email and Twitter, which is at Fuel Travel. You can uh, submit questions right now live. Alyssa is on the other side of the camera and she is checking those for us. So you can go to Twitter at Fuel Travel. You can go onto the YouTube stream or the Facebook stream, whichever you're watching us on, and you can submit questions. And I believe there's a hashtag on Twitter, right? Is it hashtag Hotel Marketing? Is that what we're using? Uh, or Fuel AMA. Or fu so hashtag Hotel Marketing and hashtag Fuel AMA. We're monitoring both of those. So if you have questions you want to submit, have at it. So if you're new to this show, we usually do it as an audio podcast. We very rarely do the live video stream, but today it's our 100th episode and Pete got really excited about the zeros. Yay! Yep. That's Pete's excited face. <coughs> Jeremy, that's his excited face. He stays like that all the time. Um, but you but, know what? In numerology, this is just episode one. This is true. It's episode one. Because one plus zero <laughs> plus zero. It's like a birthday. It is. So this is the first one, which is why it's already gone off the rails. So if you haven't listened to us before, we usually start off the show with news or ruse. So let's do that, Pete. Take it away. All right. With hotel marketing that cannot lose, now it's time for news or ruse. Nice. That's the first time you've ever done that live. It was. Well, actually, I've done it. True. You're you've right. done it live to us, yes. but not to the audience. But not to that person. Yeah. I'm talking to you. All right, so before we all get jibber-jabbering and chatting, can I check, Alyssa, can you ask Cassie what our audio levels are like? Does everyone sound pretty good? So, Pete, you say some words. All right. So I can't wait to talk about this first news aru because it is everything that we need to it's focus on. people can talk about. Jeremy, yes. can you say some words? I'm, I'm so excited to talk about the Marriott and how – any guest records were stolen. Wow, well, they, they don't know what the news room is yet. Whoa. Spoiler oh. alert! Spoiler <laughs> alert! Did we just lose our one listener? We did. Oh, no. Give right. time. We're live, we'll everybody. Back. They will okay. come back. All right, so Jeremy did let the cat out of the bag. So we are going to be talking about the Marriott Starwood data breach that hit the news this week. Who wants to kind of summarize that for us? Does anyone have the article? I think it's been everywhere, so you could pick yeah. one of a plethora of articles to talk so about. I'm I'm looking at the one on TechCrunch, yep. and the headline is, Marriott says 500 million Starwood guest records stolen in a massive data breach. 500 million. That's a lot of millions. It, well, it's, it's more people than there are in the United States. And that's what is such a big deal because this starts getting into the European Union and what we talked about on podcast past, GDPR. Yeah, they said they're possibly going to lose... 4% of their global revenue? Well, so yeah, the GDPR regulations which apply to anyone that's in, in a European Union citizen, right? If, if you breach and you have clients that are in the European Union, the maximum penalty according to those um, rules is up to 4%. Mm -hmm. Now, are they going to go the extreme? Possibly. This is the first, you know, because we've heard a lot of data <coughs> breaches in the U.S. over the last year or two, right? We've had, even this week, we had Dunkin' Donuts, we've had Target, we've had a lot. 
but none of them really have had the footprint in Europe like Marriott mm -hmm. Starwood does. So this, I think all eyes are gonna be on this particular one. There's gonna be a ton of lawsuits and what happens to this is probably gonna be the precedent set forward for what mm -hmm. happens moving forward. So we were talking about this earlier and it's really curious. So say they do lose 4% of their global revenue. Where does that go? Do we have any idea? Well, it, the EU gets to? it as a fine. Okay. I right. don't know enough about EU politics to say, does that go like to a general fund or? Right. Does, 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 I mean, go to the F5. They have a big party. People. They have a big party at the European yeah. Union. But, yeah, so the GDPR regulations only went into effect earlier this year. And we right. talked about this on, it was episode 82 of the podcast. Right. That's all about just GDPR. But this is like the, man, this is blood in the water. I mean, the EU is going to jump all over this because it's their first time to. They wanted a poster child. They have their poster Holy child. Moly. It's right here. And what and better poster huge. child to have? Now, yeah. if you're a hotel, especially in the US, because you know not all of our listeners, but a lot of the US listeners are in the US, a lot of folks that I've spoken to have kind of been blase about GDPR in general. Now, they're, they're trying to be better about how they deal with their data, but no one's really gone through and followed all the rules that you should be. So this this might be a wake up call because if precedent is set here, there's gonna be a target on the back of this industry. Hotels mm -hmm. in specifically are gonna, a lot of lawyers are gonna go after us just like they are right now for ADA compliance kind of situations. So there could be a lot of lawsuits. Now this will take a while to get through the court system in Europe, but it's a big deal. And, and here's the other thing you can think about too. Marriott, you said there's no sound on Facebook since the beginning or it just dropped out? Okay. So the YouTube people will hear I'll be back. I'm... You keep talking. Okay. The YouTube people can hear this. Facebook people, I don't know sign language. But Marriott learned that this during the investigation for this breach, this has been going on since 2014. Yeah, it's a long time. I mean, it's incredible that, you know, of the, the whole data breach where he had 500 million records possibly compromised, 327 million of those records did in fact contain guest name, rec uh, address, phone number, date of birth, gender, email address, passport, all the things. Crazy information. Yes. And they can't say if these users' credit card data was also a part of that right. breach. Typically, that stuff is stored separately. But you know, if this has been going on since 2014, who whoever knows? made this intrusion has had a while to get in there, get comfortable, and really harvest knows. who knows what. Right. So it begs sure. the question, and we talked about this in our GDPR episode, you know, we know that it's, for legal reasons, when a customer checks in, you need a license or maybe a passport number, but how long do you really need to store that information? Get rid of it when you can so that you have less issues if something like mm -hmm. this were to happen. <clears throat> yep. The best way to not have your data breached is to not have the data. Right. I mean, you know, we have to collect it, but how long do you really have to store it? And where? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's what the, the big question is, is where do you store it? And I think what Marriott's also going to do, I mean, unfortunately, they're such a big company that the answer is going to be they hold the data. Right. But for a lot of independent hoteliers, like probably a lot of people listening to us right now, is other people hold your data. Your PMS company holds your data. Your email marketing t team holds your data. Fix it. Yay, Stuart fixed the feed. So <clears throat> if you missed everything we said, we're not going to say it again, but we did still record it so when you download this episode we did, of the podcast. actually didn't i forgot to start the oh. um yeah the the voice <laughs> recording so i'm gonna get the audio from the youtube video
that's okay. going to have this bit in the middle. So if someone's listening to this in a week's yeah. time when we publish it, they're going to be completely confused. Yeah. This is why we're so good at hotel marketing because we suck at broadcast. Yeah, well, we've only done this one. twice. Yeah, you know? that's true. I would blame, you know, we didn't change anything. I'd blame the software. Oh, it's definitely software. It's always the software. So. Probably, you know what? It was probably Marriott's fault. Ah, we got breached. Marriott mm. breached us. Yeah, but we're back. <laughs> did we finish so. talking about Marriott? I, I think we did. I mean, the, the, the point is pay attention to your data. Mm -hmm. Keep the data that you need. Get rid of the data that you don't. Yep. And make sure that your tech providers, your PMS companies, email providers, whomever it might be, it's has the same. solid yeah, I, I mean, I, a lot of folks I talk to, especially when they're bringing up GDPR, is I start by asking the question, well, do you know what data you have? Is, is there somewhere documented? Do you have a diagram of everything you're collecting, where it's stored, where the data flow is coming? So what data is coming in from what systems and what data is going out to what systems? Who has access to your data? You really need to audit that and fully get mm -hmm. your arms around it and have it documented and have someone that's designated as that, that chief data officer that is going to be the one that raises their hand and says, well, you, I know you want to give this data to this new vendor, but why? Like, what, what is the risk? What's the benefit? And is this something we should really do? But you really should be locking down as much data as you can and, and just using the stuff you need to run your operation and, and to you know, target people in an effective way as well. And if you want to know more about that, go back to our GDPR episode. Yeah, 82. That is that what it was? That's what he said. Episode 82. Yeah. So we, we really did, a, I feel like, a good comprehensive job in that episode of breaking down exactly what the regulation says and what it really means. Now, there's still a lot of gray area. Um, there's legislation coming into the U.S. right now in, in California that looks a lot like GDPR that's probably going to add some nuances. So we might need to redo that episode <laughs> at some point. But but right now, I think it's it's really asking yourself, is it your data or is it the customer's data? The answer should always be it's the customer's data. You don't own it. You're just borrowing it from them. Pete, you've already said about the, the cell phone. When I give you my cell phone number, that doesn't mean you can go use it however you want, mm -hmm. right? I'm loaning it to you for the express purpose of communicating with me. Right. I'm not saying you can sell my cell phone to other people or call me in the middle of the night with random information. Mm -hmm. So when, when a consumer gives us their data, it's still their data. We're borrowing it. Um, with permission, we should use it appropriately. So if you start with that, then I'm getting really distracted. Why is Alyssa climbing under the table? She's well, trying to get her, uh, there we go. So here, here's the other thing, Thanks, Alyssa. As hoteliers, yeah. our job is to make our guests feel very comfortable yeah. and think of their data as the key to their room. If you're not keeping their email safe, what makes them, you think that they're going to keep the door to their hotel room safe? Yeah. You have to create that trust with the guest before they get to the property, mm -hmm. because maybe Marriott's got some serious PR. They do. But do you, do you think it's going to change consumer behavior, though? And we were just no. I was on no. um, Lauren Gray's show an hour or so ago this week in hospitality, digital marketing. Shout out to Lauren. Um, and we were talking about the, the trade off between privacy and convenience and how mm -hmm. most com consumers are always going to take the convenient route, even if it means they're giving up a little bit of privacy. So yeah, I don't think it's going to. Are you going anything. to not stay at a Marriott now if it's the most convenient place to stay? Well, you still bank and look at all the Bank of America, all the companies that have had data breaches yeah. with all your money. Do you think yeah, that that list probably longer now than the ones that haven't? Yeah, you know. So, so. 
go, that, go get LifeLock or something. <clears throat> get, definitely, if you, especially if you stayed at a Marriott or Starwood or had a coffee from a Dunkin' or a donut from a Dunkin' Donuts, because mm-hmm. or Target or wherever. If you've bought something, yeah. In if, the past. You, if you've used money, if you're on the grid, <laughs> you have a credit card. Totally should get LifeLock yep. or something like that. And we have them sponsor us now. Yeah, bro. Do you buy? No, I don't think we can yeah. do that. All right, so let's jump into the episode. This is AMA. They didn't come here to hear us talk about the news news. They came here to hear us uh, answer questions that they submitted. We had a bunch before the show. I'm sure we're going to have a bunch coming in during the show. Again, if you want to submit a question, go to Twitter, um, hashtag Fuel AMA or Hotel Marketing, or go to YouTube or go to Facebook where the live streams are, and you can submit them there. We've got Cassie and Alyssa uh, monitoring those dropping them in front of us on our screens here and we're going to do our best to jump through as many as we can and we'll go until we get tired or no one's watching anymore right sounds good so you want to kick us off pete sure so first question is from selim who is at m-s-i-m-r-e on twitter and he had a great question it's what is your take on the focus wire article end of hotel meta search uh, i don't know if you guys have read this article but it came out on the 30th of october mm-hmm. And basically the position of the whole article was because of the consolidation in the OTA business, there really is no such thing as a true meta search that's going to scan hundreds of sites for the best price for any given hotel. You know, it's either going through Expedia or it's going through booking holdings. Or the third place it could come from is the hotel's own website. So because of that is true meta search dead. And... I think he brings up a valid point. I mean, you know, his point is that they're not selling you on a a consumer experience. They're selling you on find the lowest price. Well, you can already do that looking at two websites, maybe Mm -hmm. three. Yep. Has it ever been true? Mm, Questionable. Because really, it's always been a a funnel to eventually you're booking at the property. Yeah. You can find better prices here and there, but... A lot of people have always seen it as a bridge technology, mm-hmm. right? And and I think that's what it is. And and I really think we need to delineate what a meta search is between because there's different types, right? So there's there's sites like Kayak and Travago that that's pretty much all they do. They're they're mm-hmm. a meta search. But then there's sites like TripAdvisor and Google Hotel Ads or Google in general, which Hotel Ads has the um, meta search component as well as the Book Direct component now, just like TripAdvisor has both. Uh, but both TripAdvisor and Google are very different than Trivago and Kayak because they're a destination in and of themselves. People start their journey for searching mm-hmm. and finding property there already. So I think there's a value to them showing multiple rates from a single property. But but do I think that Trivago and Kayak and other mm-hmm. meta searches out there that are just meta searches are going to grow their business? Mm-hmm. Probably not because I think people are already getting exposed to, to what they need to. And you look at you know tools like Triptease, that are enabling individual hotels to put that same kind of data on their own website <clears throat> mm-hmm. as well. Um, look at Trivago though, they're still talking in their commercials about search over 200 sites for yeah. the same yeah. rate, right? 200 sites. I love that he took that dig in this article, mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah. well, hundreds of sites are you checking? Yeah, but I mean, what it is, is someone's pushing out their rates through their channel management to Expedia, and it's going to Orbitz and Travelocity and all the hundreds of affiliates that are using the same mm-hmm. rate. Yeah, so there's no exactly. value in that, right? Yeah, they're checking their own stuff over and over, I guess is what they're saying. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah it's a joke, right? So, but I don't think the consumer really understands that. I don't think consumer understands that we've got this 
duopoly of booking holdings in an Expedia group that control most of the data, most of the sites. I really like the portion of this article where he talks about um, can meta on meta save hotel meta search. And what he's pointing out is, is it even smart for TripAdvisor to play the GHA game? And clearly <clears throat> their margins are so low, even if you're playing a, a volume game, you're still losing money here. Yeah, TripAdvisor, I, I think, and we talked about this in last week's episode, I think, or maybe it's the one before, but TripAdvisor's in a little bit of trouble because they've lost their North Star. They're not focused on what made them great initially, which was let's create a great user experience that's helpful to the consumer and figure out how to monetize it afterwards. They've switched that and now it's how do we make money at the expense of the consumer and a lot of the, the steps they made. For example, sponsored listings, the, the sponsor placement at the top, there is no value to that at all for the consumer. As a consumer, that is something that is deceiving at best, right? So if I go to TripAdvisor now and I do a search, my assumption is whatever shows at the top of my search is probably one of the best things I should stay at, one of the best properties to stay at. But now there's no quality control in that because it's just whoever pays the most to get there. Mm -hmm. That's not valuable to me they, at all. They point that out in this too, where it's if you if you want your OTA or MetaSearch site to survive, you got to do right by the consumer. Give them the best place to stay. It's not all about the best price with you anymore because there's other places. I mean, Google is going to own where you find your prices pretty much. Mm -hmm. So do do what's great by your consumer and help them find the best place for them, not necessarily lowest price. Yeah, and then one of the things in this article as well, you know, speaking of Google, is <clears throat> the folk the the folks at Focuswire don't think that Google's ever going to become that OTA. But I think one thing that is is true is Google's very aware of what the customers want and are constantly playing with the layout, the technology, and the tools that are available to give the customer exactly what they want. They understand what their North Star is. And if the OTAs, and especially TripAdvisor, don't get on board, it trip, I mean, Google's going to naturally have to gravitate toward that direction. Mm -hmm. and, and to be fair, I mean, Google has a better foothold on this than anybody because <coughs> they're the beginning of almost every destination search, flight search, whatever whatever it is. If someone's traveling somewhere, they're starting on Google. Yeah. Yeah. And we, I mean, we see now the data we've been talking about the last few weeks that even to the hotel website, that Google's over 90% of the organic traffic to the website. So we know that's the tool people are definitely using to do their research. But what, what sites do they land at during that process? I would say that there's Travagos of the world are very redundant at this point. They're not necessary, especially when you consider that the rate management has gotten a lot better. The tools out there have enabled hotels to do a much better job of creating rate parity across all the channels. So the article brings that up too. Yep. So whereas, you know, once you could find a lot more variance between the different channels, that shouldn't happen today. It does still, um, unfortunately, more than it should, but it's a lot less than it was mm -hmm. at one point. It but was, in those cases, that's when a customer is looking for where the hotel made a mistake. Versus just yeah, yeah. You're the, trying the to gain, reality of trying to gain the system or exploit a, a bad revenue manager. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think something like uh, an Expedia, Booking.com, even TripAdvisor, the only way to really survive in this long term, some have some kind of loyalty program where you're you're the you're a source so people come back and book with you over and over and over. 
rather than elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, you need some type of loyalty program to bring them back. Yeah. Or, or you just you need to do a good job by your guests, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of clients, especially in repeat destinations, that their reliance on OTAs is less than 10%. And that's very much different than the average in the industry. When we go and find folks you know, that, that want to use fuels marketing services, typically they're in the 50, 60, 70% range relying on OTAs and would be happy with a 30%, right? So... But those, the folks that we have that are on 10% or less aren't necessarily doing anything that no one else can do, right? It's, it's not magic. They're just doing right by the consumer. They're, they're focused on the guest experience, making sure that the guests that come, every guest that comes, they're working towards them coming again. When they walk, as soon as they made a booking, really, they're working towards their next booking by making sure they have a great experience. Then they're communicating with them appropriately via the channels that are appropriate. And then their, their online footprint is is the right one. They're, they're on the OTAs with a rate that's the same or a little bit higher than their own website. But then on their website, because you need to be there at the top of the funnel when people are searching broad, you've got to be on these, these sites. But that doesn't mean consumers want to book there. If you're given an incentive to book on the hotel website, offer them incentives to book direct, whether that's faster Wi-Fi, free parking, uh, a bottle of water, some kind of loyalty points that you can be redeemed for whatever. If you offer those incentives, consumers want to do what's in their interest and they don't want to work hard for it. They would prefer to book on that website. We're making them work going back mm-hmm. to the, the meta searches. So do we want to sum up? Do we think meta searches are dead? I, I don't think it's dead. I think it's consolidation, which is normal in the web. I mean, if you look at from a shopping perspective, everybody went everywhere to find deals. Now everyone goes to Amazon. I mean, what's Amazon? It is this little website. They have they sell uh, books, like knickknacks and books and whatnot. Okay, yeah. But uh, but no, what you see is happening is everyone's consolidating down to basically you know, Expedia, your booking holding type sites, Google, TripAdvisor. Mm-hmm. So if you, as a hotel, optimize your footprint on each of those platforms, mm-hmm. you're going to put yourself in a better position. Mm-hmm. I think you know years ago where it was just here's a rate, there was nothing selling your property. Right. But now you have the opportunity to basically look at those little, little microsites and hooks in the water to drive people directly to your site. That's the goal. But do your due diligence and make sure your photos are updated, your descriptions are updated. Anything that that platform lets you do, yeah. do it. The copy is compelling. You, your job is to make <clears throat> them want to stay with you That on all these channels, right? All the channels, that's the purpose. But then your website's job is to convince them that that's the place to book right. once they've already decided. And those folks that I've talked about, and we've got dozens of hotels that are sub 10% reliant on OTAs, not one of them is on a meta search, a true meta search. Not one of them uses Trivago or Kayak. It is not necessary in today's landscape. Now, in some destinations, especially in a city, would it help? Maybe. But I think you can get yourself into a situation where you do not need, you can be sub 10% reliant on OTAs and not be on a meta search. That is possible because we've got dozens of examples. Back to your original question. I don't think it's, I don't think it's dead. I think it's dying and I think they need to change their focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But which is what they're trying to do. Because if if you look at uh, Google hotel ads, it started as a meta search. It's morphing into an OTA. If you look at TripAdvisor, TripConnect, it is a meta search and they tried really, really hard to push Instant Book, which hasn't been successful yet. But I don't think they're going to give up on that. At the end of the day, both 
Google and TripAdvisor would prefer to be the OTA because then they're getting bigger margins, they're getting a bigger slice. Because right now, it's you know there's a lot of hands in the pie. You've got your know, Google with the initial click to Expedia, who's taking a percentage, and then ultimately, the hotel has to pay a, a bigger chunk mm -hmm. because of that production chain, and then the consumer is ultimately the one that's paying for it. So hopefully that answers your question. I think we yeah. can definitely. Man, if we answer every question that thoroughly, we might be here a while. Yeah. <laughs> we were less. Uh, Alyssa, <laughs> just give us a heads up when we're like four hours in, just in case we need to knock it on the head. All right, what's next? I'll go ahead. So Catherine from Panama City Beach, she says, I manage nine properties with one single portal website. Do I need individual property websites for each of my resorts? Yes. Next yes. question. <laughs> the answer is yes. yes. Definitely yeah. Move on. Well, so let's let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, I think definitively. So you you got three options, right? If you, if you have multiple properties in a single destination, or even in multiple destinations, you can have that that portal site, which sounds like they've got right now. Um, you can have each property has its own site, or you can do have two swipes at it and have the portal site and the individual sites, which I think if we look at most of our um, management groups that are in a single destination, that's what we recommend, mm -hmm. right? Where they've got the portal site, which is operating almost like an OTA for the destination where you can search across the inventory, but then always, always an individual property site is going to convert better for brand traffic, for email traffic, for PPC traffic than, than a portal site mm -hmm. ever will. Right. So, yeah, the typical consumer doesn't care about your uh, management group as much as they do about the individual property they're going to stay at. For sure. Um, it, it sends that signal to the guest of this is a standalone business that you are going to be doing business with. Right. And uh, I, I mean, we've seen rankings improve significantly for not only branded searches, but also. Um, also just uh, destination type searches. So you can optimize for many different things specific to a property on a specific property site than you can on a portal site. <clears throat> right. Just completely erases your search presence. It you does. It's another sense. hook in the water, right? As so, long as you have the budget for it. Because I think what, it, it always sometimes becomes just like the redheaded stepchild that, oh, we have this portal site, but now we're focused on our individual property sites. Yeah. And it can, can backfire a little bit on you. You need to make sure that you have the budget to create the content that the portal site will still need. Right. Not just duplicate everything on the, on the site. Right. And You're right. I think that's a good consideration. It's not just a financial one either. It's a time commitment. Yep. You know, you've got to manage it. Another, another benefit of that is just owning more SERP real estate. So your search engine result page, you're, you're taking up say two spots in paid, two spots in organic and you're kicking others out. Gotcha. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So I think our recommendation in most cases, if you can, is to have both mm -hmm. the portal site and the individual property sites. And uh, once you once you have that, then I would shift the majority of your marketing efforts, or, or I should say your advertising efforts, to the individual property sites. Because again, they're going to convert better than the portal site. Now, if you have a co-op, like a print piece that's just promoting the destination, maybe send that to the portal site. But like I said, your emails, your pay-per-click, any kind of targeted ads should be driving people directly to the individual property that's relevant to them. All right. Cool. We got more questions coming in. Looks like. Let's go to the next one. And again, if you want to submit a question, you can do it on Facebook, YouTube, wherever you're watching. And you can go to Twitter as well and hashtag AM, Fuel AMA or Hotel Marketing. Yeah. 
We ready for the next one? Yeah, no, guys, let's go for it. I, I'm skipping a few and jumping down to okay, ROI. Just pick them. This is going to confuse we're us. We're getting a lot. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm uh, talking to Pam via Twitter who asks, how do you measure ROI on Facebook advertising? I love that question because it's so hard to answer. <laughs> yeah, it is because it depends which ad format you're talking about, right? There's yes. so many options, you know, from promoted posts to lead ads, you know, it's, there's a ton of stuff you can do on Facebook. I'll, I'll let uh, you guys handle that considering that's what you manage for us more. <laughs> I mean, I think that all comes back to, to proper tracking. Um, knowing who came into your site and what they did from the Facebook ad is, is how you're going to eventually measure ROI. Right. And something like like ads, it's just putting a value on what is your value of a like and how much are you spending on that so that you can actually measure something that wouldn't necessarily be trackable. But yeah. Or what's the value of a lead if you're doing lead ads? Right. Or exactly. It's not all just yeah. revenue booked on your site. It's, it's tough. You know, I think there was there was a time five or six years ago where a lot of, we didn't have the choice of the types of ad, right? There, there was pretty much, you could do like ads or it, the equivalent of promoted posts. But um, now we have a choice. And I, I really think you wanna be discerning about which ads you run as a hotel and, and really think about what is the value to you as a business. We, we all got caught up in the early days of Facebook trying to grow the database, like grow the number of likes because we could just put out a post and reach all those people just like that. But we know that Facebook's done a really, really good job of squeezing us dry in terms of not letting us communicate with our fan base unless we pay them to do so, right? So if you just do an organic post now and you have a 50,000 fan page, you're probably gonna only reach two to 5% of those at most, right? So the value in having a large list is a lot lower today than it was five years ago or even six months ago. So I personally don't, for my clients, recommend running like ads anymore unless they're just getting started, just to kind of get yeah. the ball rolling. But once you're established, once you've got a few thousand followers, I think you, your job is to grow that organically, you know, through tools like flip to, for example, where you get social engagement. I think that's the payoff. I wouldn't spend money to build a list that then you have to pay money to target to again. I, don't, I just don't think that's, when you run the math and really try to chase down what that's worth, the ROI is one tough to track, but, but it's very small as well compared to a lead ad. And it, it's gonna depend on what kind of lead it is. You know, we, we've seen examples where folks are selling or, or giving away iPads or, mm -hmm. or junk, right? That's not relevant. And then they're collecting thousands of email addresses and saying each one's worth $5 or whatever, but then you analyze the performance of those emails and it's, it's garbage. Garbage. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's absolute junk. Those people sign up to win an iPad. They're not engaged with your brand. So when you're doing lead ads, make sure it's relevant. Maybe it's a stay. Maybe it's something that they can get when they're on property. But you you got to make it tangible and in something that's relevant. And, and one thing that we've seen work as um, a way to grow your fan base organically is have something at your property like a selfie spot where you know when someone takes their picture they want to tag you in it so you know that's that's going to grow your fan base they might like your page that way too so have something that's shareable on property yeah for sure and you know i, I love social advertising because of the granularity of the targeting i think it's great you you really can't get as focused a group of people anywhere else than on facebook 
but you really want to be careful about what your goals are because they have a lot of ad formats that perform different things. We talked about light, we talked about promoted posts, talked about lead ads. But if, if you're trying to get bookings, it's really hard because you, you think about what you're trying to do. Someone's on Facebook for a reason, right? They're trying to waste time. They're not in, or cool. they're trying to be nosy, right? They're <clears throat> procrastinating. It's, you know, they're about to go to sleep, whatever it is. They're not going to Facebook to find a vacation or to even think about going on vacation. So you're interrupting them and competing with them against their friends, their families, their exes, you know, their, their coworkers and all the noise that they're making. So it's really hard for you to expect to get one message in front of them that then leads to a booking right then, you know? So you've really got to play the long game with Facebook and try to collect leads, uh, inspire people, get them to content that might make them think. And then not just track, does that person come back and, and book right now, but what do they do over time? This is, this is where multi-touch point really attribution modeling really comes in handy. I think looking at where did this person first enter my, my funnel? And then what else did they do in between? Did they then receive emails? Did they then go to search? What did they do before they booked? I think social is an important part of the funnel, but it's not an end of funnel kind of a tool. It's, it's an inspirational, aspirational kind of a thing. So we didn't really answer the question. It's like, how long is a piece of string? I, I don't know. Three inches. How many holes does a straw have? <laughs> oh, it was three inches? Yeah. Okay, sorry. Just please weigh in on how many yeah. holes a straw has. Go ahead. It's, 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 us. it's mathematically proven to be one. Wrong. It's true. You, YouTube it. Okay. Um, all right, we have another no, question. No, don't leave us. Don't leave us to go YouTube that right now. <laughs> well, then it's up to us to be more interesting. Yeah. Uh, next question. This is a good one. From Missy on Facebook, how can a new property with no track record decide how much to invest in marketing in its first year of operation? <laughs> Three inches. <Yeah. laughs> well, this is, I mean, to quote Will Ferrell, this is hard. Yeah, this is a one. <laughs> it's a really tough question because everything you're going to be doing at the beginning of your marketing cycle is really awareness. So, you know, I mean, Missy, we just talked about measuring ROI on Facebook and that we typically don't recommend like ads. We're recommending like ads because that's the only way right now that you can even get, you know, yourself in front of anybody. Yeah. yeah you first have to build advertising that. as well. That's another yeah. thing we typically say, um, you know, don't spend a ton of money on display because you're not going to yeah. see the return on it. But and if you're a brand new property and you just need to make people aware of you yeah. display ads where mm -hmm. yeah even that garbage sponsored position in TripAdvisor yes. is a good yeah. option if That'll you're a new property right because you don't have a track record to show on any organic results so disregard everything we've previously said for the last 30 minutes yeah. <laughs> well i mean there's a big difference between you know launching and you know maintaining yeah. Yeah. and i think that's where the really difference comes from is you have you have zero email database mm -hmm. yeah so you don't have anything to start with so it's just you know, trying to figure out exactly how much you should spend, that's that's a hard question. Yeah. I mean, some people say 10% or whatever the number might be, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it ranges, yeah. right? I, I mean, I see properties that are 1% to 5% of their annual revenue is, is their marketing budget. Mm -hmm. I've seen people up to 10 to 12%, mm -hmm. right? So it, it depends on your tolerance, and I think it, tend, it needs to be more aggressive initially. So you've probably done some projections of, you know, in terms of the first year of revenue. Take a percentage of that. I think five to 10 is probably a good starting point for the first year. Uh, but then really think about where you're gonna invest that. And, and the best marketing you can do 
when you start out is the experience itself. Mm -hmm. The word of mouth power that you're going to generate with the first wave of guests is going to be mission critical to your success. So making sure that your the staff are trained, that they're on top of every guest experience, that you're really focused on getting positive reviews, word of mouth, collecting the data from every guest that walks in, asking them to leave a review, asking them to come back, offering incentives to share and come back. Um, again, I'm going to give another shameless plug to flip to using a tool like that to get them to tell their stories and then share with their friends. That's where social yeah. really comes in. Well, you got you, you got to be scrappy. I yeah. mean, because you like you say you don't have anything to work with. I think the first thing to figure out how much you should spend is honestly talk to your fellow hoteliers or see what they're doing in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. That's you, exactly what I was okay. going to say, Pete. Yeah, you got to check out your competitive set. Mm -hmm. um, who who are you truly competing against in your area? Uh, what are you going to need to do to get out in front of a guest who would typically book with them? I think knowing your competition, maybe no, you're not going to know how much they spend a lot of times, but knowing where they're advertising and trying to at least replicate that in some way, shape or form um, is really important. Another one, uh, you guys were kind of touching on it a bit, but influencer marketing could be great for a brand new hotel as well. So weighing the cost of that, Mm -hmm. It may not cost you anything, be, but a stay. Right, yeah. exactly. What's yeah. a, what's a free you, room if it's not going to be booked? Right, anyway? you've got empty rooms yeah. just going vacant. So. And, and that, that actually kind of walks right into Missy's next question, if you guys don't care. I'm well, I'll, I'll first tell Missy to listen to episode 96, which is the Influencer Marketing yeah. Podcast. Also, um, what was the episode where we did um, how to market on a shoestring budget? Because that one had a lot of ideas for things. You don't have to spend money to market, especially when you're starting out, especially if you're a small property and don't have money. Episode 58. So episode 58, I think that's one of our most downloaded episodes because we really went through some just brainstorm ideas of things you can do, cost you very little, but can have dramatic impact, stand out in your competition. So, And also now is a perfect time to get your analytics in order. Make sure everything is trackable. Make sure you have it built right from the start mm -hmm. because, as Melissa can attest, you're not going to be able to go back and pull old data or mm -hmm. add old data to stuff you didn't or add data to stuff you didn't have to start with. So get that right and you know be diligent because that's going to decide where you need to spend tomorrow's dollar. Mm -hmm. So Missy points out, you know, she wanted to know how her new property should spend their marketing budget. Here's her differentiator. So we've recently opened a fully eco-sustainable property, generating all of our own energy, gathering and using all rain and wastewater, saving 300,000 liters of water with all composting toilets. Um, I'd like to hear your views on whether or not clients really care about sustainable tourism and how can it be used for a marketing advantage? It's another really good question. It, it's a niche. It's very it, much a niche. So don't go you know, mass market with it. You're don't bid on your destination hotels, you know, bid on you know, ecotourism, look at things like, you know, Airbnb, look at the different experiences that they offer. I and, think the link building aspect of something like that is huge. Mm -hmm. you, know, you get out there on, on people who are already writing about eco friendly hotels, get involved in that conversation as much as you possibly can. Um, you're, like Pete said, you could go ahead and bid on ecotourism keywords, but the search volume is typically <coughs> mm -hmm. not there. Um, not a lot of people. No care. relevance, right? Yeah, not a lot of people care to to search it. But when they visit your website and you're promoting that and you're showing that you're making a difference, it makes someone feel good about booking with you. So it's definitely uh, 
a selling point, but I don't know it's, if it's something you can go attack per se. I mean, it's I great. It's a great scary. content opportunity. I mean, you, you can become the expert in ecotourism for your destination and you can show people another way of staying you know, right. in that destination in a more sustainable way. Yeah. And I think it goes beyond that, right? Get involved in the community that that mm -hmm. is an interest because Candidly, most people probably it's not an important factor when they're deciding, right? It's not going to influence average Joe on the street. So to, to make that the cornerstone of a mass market campaign, like you said, is probably not going to be effective. But if you lean into it and say and own it and say, this is who we are and we're going to go all in, go find the communities where that matters, right? People that are into healthy living, into sustainability. Go get involved with them, have conversations on Twitter, find the user groups, find the forums, mm -hmm. become a voice in those places, become an authority, and then maybe even take it to the next level so that if, if you're an expert on this, help other properties that aren't necessary in your area, but help other properties that are looking to do the same great things. Give mm -hmm. them a playbook. Tell them how you do it. You know, Create content about... I don't know what it means that it's a compostable toilet. It makes me as a layman a little bit nervous. Like, does that have odor issues? Like what does, am I? She says, she says, no, they're incredible to use. Right. No smell. But average Joe doesn't know yeah, that. Right. Know so, that. so that's a, that's, that's potentially a turnoff for some people to a layman like myself. So making sure you turn into it and sell the benefit of that and not the risk potential non-existent mm -hmm. risk of it, but you've got to really <clears throat> win the game through content. I think. So yeah. do you have to show the picture of the composting toilet, Melissa? I maybe in this case, maybe it's for the, okay for, to show a toilet. For those of you that haven't listened to previous episodes, one of Melissa's bugaboos is pictures of toilets on websites. Yes. Yeah. Because I just assume that a hotel has a toilet, but you don't. I don't need it. to see it. You know, I, I stayed at a hotel. I want to say it was the Hotel Cavendish in London. I think it's around, I forget what's where it's, it's up near Tottenham Court Road, somewhere up that end. But um, it was, it's a real old building, great breakfast, really small rooms. And we got there, there's no bathroom in the room. There's a one bathroom on each corridor. Now it was a cheap hotel at the time. They may have changed now, but sure. um, we did not expect that. It was an interesting <laughs> experience. Now I was in college. I didn't really care at the time, but it, if you went with your family right now, I think you'd be kind of, I, I wouldn't. I, w I don't think I would stay there. So I, I think this is a good opportunity for you to create some guest personas and understand who they are, and that probably help you understand where to go. Because not people, people to Phil's point aren't necessarily searching for ecotourism, mm -hmm. but people are going to be going to sites and forums and groups about homesteading or you know off-grid living or whatever that might be. Yeah, that's who you want to find. And then you promote your tourism message to them at that yeah, point. Yeah, if I were reading an article about an area and that were an option for me to stay at a hotel like that, making those strides to be sustainable and eco-friendly, it might influence me to book with them. Mm -hmm. you know, as long as the it might be a tiebreaker, yeah. You know, crazy. Difference. And I think you know, to the communities that you engage with, I think you can look at stuff that's parallel to to sustainability as well. I think there's a good correlation between things like healthy living and wellness and nutrition and you know, that. good food and and things like that. I think there's audiences there that are already showing a lot of the same inclinations that sustainability has that uh, would 
but easier to persuade than the mass community, right? So look at people that are into health and fitness and wellness. And, and that's where your Facebook advertising could be really targeted, really right? Targeted and, and that's where your influencer marketing could really pay, pay in, right? Go find, you know, um, foodie kind of bloggers, go find um, yoga instructors, have them do live streams on Facebook from your property, things like that. I think that's, that's a good niche to tr really try to focus on. Hopefully it helped. Yeah, Missy I hope so. Compost yeah, let us know. I mean, if we answer one of your questions and it helps in any way, or if we are terrible and you think we're idiots, let us know either way. We, we can take it. We, we had someone actually leave a review. Do you remember I left? I told you guys we had a two-star review? Oh, yeah. That, did. And that, that, that they hadn't left an actual message. Like all our other reviews were five-star except for this one. I think I sent you a screenshot of it. I don't remember exactly what it said, but apparently I didn't know this iTunes in Europe shows different reviews than iTunes in US. So a good friend, Mark at Boostly Hospitality saw the two star review and actually sent me a screenshot of what it said. And the person I'm paraphrasing, but basically said they tuned in to an episode that was titled AI and we weren't talking about anything related to AI. All we were doing was spent the first 10 minutes trying to be cooler than each other. <laughs> <laughs> it easily takes me way less than 10 minutes to be yeah. cooler than you. <laughs> I don't know, you see that sweater? This is a cool yeah. sweater. <laughs> well, yeah. My sweater's awesome. That, this is to inspire Star Wars related questions. This is true. I think last time for Yoda. Like, no, no, not Yoda. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, gotcha. Now I have this shirt on. I just didn't have this on. So that's. Yeah, it was it was a secret. Is that Lauren and Robert? Is that who it was? Of course it was. Of course it was. Next one's easy. This one's right up your alley story. All right. This is our hundredth episode. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is sorry. It's Aurora. I think I'm saying that right. Sorry if I messed it up. What are our download numbers? Well, we are in the thousands per episode. I don't I haven't looked recently, but several thousand episodes at this point. Now we started out, we were happy when we hit hundred per episode. So yeah. We we've grown. Last month was our record downloaded month. I haven't looked at November yet, but I got a suspicion that November might be in October. So Just pat yourself in the back. Yeah. I had someone uh, email me today as well, uh from the UK, someone that we're, we're having a conversation with, and they said they were speaking at a conference in Europe and they plugged our podcast. They said you you guys should listen to this, the audience of a couple of hundred. So he take took all the credit for our recent growth <laughs> and success. Awesome. Thanks. If uh so we'll beat October if we get a couple hundred more downloads, which I think we should okay. be able to do. Yeah, yeah. So everyone downloaded a lot of times, so that helps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <So laughs> this is gonna warp it though, because this is gonna go out after this is gonna go out in December. Oh so, no. Yeah. This is a problem. Yeah, well, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to be October. Just summer, go download so. some of our past episodes yep. that we plugged on the show. We'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah, everyone go download 10 episodes right now, and we'll be good to go. All right, what's the next question? Let's see. Uh, sure. Mauricio, via LinkedIn, asked, what are your thoughts on click cease for hotels? I mean, if each hotel in our group has about 1,600 searches per month at $1.07 CPC, and according to stats, I don't know where they came from, a fifth of those are clicked by bots, we would be saving money. However, our web developer says Google already has strategies to, in mm -hmm. place to fight bots. What are your thoughts on this? And what, search, what would be a search volume worthy of such a protection? Do they really work? Yeah, I, you know, we dabbled with this. It's been a couple of years with the, these kind of fraud detection things. 
I agree with their web folks in terms of Google does a really good job now of their fraud detection. They, they get better all the time. To me, you would have to have tremendous, tremendous volume to make it worthwhile because you're not just looking at the ROI that you're making from the, you know, reporting back to Google, hey, these are fraudulent clicks and, and maybe getting refunded. But it's also the time it's going to take you to do that, right? You're investing that time. And not only is that a cost, but it's also a lost opportunity. Should your time be better spent somewhere else? So we, as a practice, don't do that for our clients. We don't go back to Google and try to claim it back. Now, there there are certain tools where we do say, hey, you, we shouldn't pay you commission on these bookings. It's usually cost per acquisition kind of stuff or percentage-based stuff. But when it's a cost per click and you're paying a few cents, I, I would say you would have to be Amazon level to really make that worthwhile. If you're an individual property, I don't think it the, the juice is worth the squeeze. In yeah, my I mean, opinion. We, we see it looking at um, billing within, say, say Google Ads or formerly AdWords. Google credits you back when they detect fraud, fraudulent clicks. Right. So, you know, every other day you might get an invalid activity credit towards your account. So they are actively monitoring this and refunding when they find the errors. I, I'm, I agree with Stuart. Mm -hmm. I think you'd have yeah. to have ridiculous search volume. Um, I don't have personal experience with Clixies, but I, I feel like Google does a pretty darn good job. Yeah. I, again, I think it's about you have a finite amount of hours in the day. What do you want to focus on? To me, that's not something that is worth your time because you could be using that time to improve your email strategy, which is going to make you way more money than you're mm -hmm. going to save on the on the cost per clicks. You know, now where where I think you do want to be careful and, and monitor your expenses on a third party channel is, is something. Uh, like Sojourn, places like that, right, where you're paying a percentage of revenue from their um, bookings through view, view, view through ads, display ads. I think you want to go back to them and compare what they're claiming is theirs versus guest history and back out guest history. Because if you send them that list of folks that you say had previously booked with me, so you shouldn't take credit for them, they will credit <coughs> you back for those. Now that, because it's not a cost per click, it's a percentage and oftentimes it's about 12% of the revenue. I think that's something worthwhile because it can be automated. You can do an export straight from your PMS typically and just email them a file and say, back all these people yeah. out. So I think that, that which is going to take you less than five minutes and potentially save you hundreds of dollars, that's probably worth it. But I don't think click fraud is something yeah. that I would I, uh, And I don't know, I don't know what something like a click sees cost. Like I said, I don't have any... There's probably a cost right. for so that service on top service, of your time. So are you on top really of really saving yeah. money. I, I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know whether what did they say a fifth of their clicks are fraudulent. That's what Clixies claims is one out of every five clicks is a bot. Yeah, they're just wrong. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's in their interest to claim that number, right? Yeah. It's yeah. in their interest. I mean, years and years ago, there was always issues where you know people go and click, 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 and you're you know tally get increased. But mm -hmm. at this point, Google's pretty good. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think you know. I, always measure performance advertising as an ROI, you know, and if that's an ROI that's going up and is, is a tolerable amount, I mean, if you can make, move it a percent or two because of click fraud, is it, does it matter? You know, just keep, make the money you're making, make sure the time you're spending is optimizing the campaigns and you're going to be doing just fine. Don't sweat it. All right. So next question is from Stephanie. 
And she says, if my hotel is in a pretty unknown part of Italy, that's not traditionally touristy, what is the most important things I can do to promote the region in conjunction with my hotel to tourists outside of Italy? There's little support in the region for tourism itself, so I feel like I have to do it all on my own. Also, do you have any favorite blogs, books, or websites to learn about hotel marketing? Other than your blog, which is awesome. She, she actually said that. I didn't just stick to oh, Okay, I thought that was you saying, so, oh, you should totally listen to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast because it's a great resource. It is. Mm -hmm. So, But thank you, Stephanie. So to answer your question, this actually could be a pretty good opportunity because you can then become the premier site for your entire destination. If no one else is kind of picking up that flag and carrying it forward, creating great content for your destination might be just the thing that's needed to help kind of drive your property. Yeah, and I, I would definitely go at it with a personality, you know, yeah. ha have opinions, don't make it vanilla like a chamber of commerce would, but, but really, you know, pick your favorite restaurants, your favorite places to go, the reasons um, that people should come here. But really, I think it, it starts by engaging with people that are visiting the area, understanding mm -hmm. why, why are they coming? How did they find you? And really trying to amplify that because you might find these little pockets of niches where um, that someone has written an article on a blog in America that people have read. And then you find out what type of blogger that was. And that's where we come back to what we were talking about before with influencer marketing. Go find influencers that match that kind of demographic in terms of their target audience and perform form partnerships, you know, fly them out and stay with you and show them what it is. You know, get bloggers, YouTubers, Instagrammers to come and visit the property and really start promoting content. Because your your point, Pete, I think it's true. You've got to create like a hub mm -hmm. of content and authority on the destination, the why to come and what to do and all that fun stuff. But you still got to create demand. You do. You know, because if you have if you have the mousetrap created, but no one's searching for it, no one's heard of it, how do they find it? So you've got to create demand. And I think it's repeating what we've already said. So influencer marketing and social word of mouth mm -hmm. are the two most powerful things. So yeah. um, any, any hotel that's not using flip to should be using flip to, cause it's the most powerful way of spreading word of mouth. So going and getting, getting that tool in, embedded in your ecosystem and getting every guest to leave a story and share that and gamify that so that they tell all their friends, that's how things spread virally, and that's how you're going to build awareness. Stuart, did you? I, I don't know. Did you, right when we started? Did you talk about speaking with your guests and asking them how they found you in the first place? Yeah, yeah. I did. Yeah, okay. did uh, you just tune out for a minute? Yeah, definitely that... tuned out. I was reading. So, so okay. Yeah. yeah, definitely talk to your guests. Find out how they found you in the first place. Another thing that we've seen work for somewhat remote areas or areas that are just outside of a tourist destination is um, day trips from type of article. So day trip day trips from an area that gets a lot of traffic and a lot of tourists mm -hmm. activity. Um, promote yourself as that alternative or that short drive away type of type of content. Yeah. And tap into travel agents, you know, especially younger folks. I'm not going to use the, the M word, but younger folks tend to be looking for more adventurous vacations, right? They're looking for experiences that are unique. So talking to engaging with travel agents, offering them a spiff, some kind of percentage for the bookings that they help create because they're talking to people that are coming. Say, say, I don't know what she didn't say where she, she is, right? She just said she's remote part of Italy. So we, you know, if, if you're say close to Florence, right? And two hours from Florence, for example, but there's a train or, or there's public transportation, 
find out who's sending a lot of people to Florence, what travel agents are booking those and, and develop deep relationships with them and try to get them to incentivize people to take a day trip. When I, I went to Italy when I was in college uh, with my girlfriend at the time, now wife, and we went to uh, Florence, we went to Venice, and then we spent a couple of days in, in the northern part of the coast, uh, these little villages called Cinque Terre, which no one's really heard of, it's not one of the big cities, but we did that because the travel agent we talked to said, hey, while you're here, it's just a train ride away for a couple of hours. You should totally check this out for a couple of days. And our favorite part of our trip to Italy was Cinque Terre. So we, we literally did what we're telling you guys to do to get new people. And I think to what Pete, I believe, mentioned about you know, becoming the dominant property in your area, too. I mean, if building that content, I mean, your property is just going to become synonymous with those things to do and those <clears throat> Uh, daily getaways or weekend getaways and stuff like that. So, I mean, if you can just build that up, I mean, you'll become the synonymous <laughs> property and be like, oh. Yeah. Well, at some point, you kind of have to because in most cases, everyone loves to think their hotel's fantastic, mm -hmm. but they're going to your property to do other stuff and they also don't want to get rained on at night. You know, so they need a place to sleep. But in your case, you really have to sell the entire experience more mm -hmm. so than a regular property would. Yeah. yeah. So it comes back to what Phil said because he didn't hear what I said, <laughs> Talk which is talking to your guests. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully that helps. That's a good question. I like that. I, I think, Stuart, we have another question specifically for you. This is from Robert Cole. Is it about bees? No, it's not. Uh, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck mm -hmm. or 100 duck-sized horses? Wow. That's a tough one. I think I'd go for a horse-sized duck because then you can keep your eye on that one thing. Mm -hmm. I agree with you on that. You know, Because think about the little dinosaurs in uh, Jurassic Park. Right, yeah. they'll, they'll swarm you. The copies. Yeah, exactly. I, I think too many little ones would, would just consume me. So I'd go for the, the big guy, run between his legs. And well, here's the thing, too, is if it's a duck-sized horse, you only have two legs. If it's 100 horse-sized ducks, yeah. you're going to have 400 you, legs to be able to. You got it the, the wrong way. You said duck-sized horse, but there would be 100 ducks. There's one horse-sized duck. There you go. So, so it's a giant, legs. it's just two, two legs, legs yeah. versus So you could run straight through the legs yeah. right, and jump up on his back. And I've been bitten by a horse before. Mm -hmm. I don't need a hundred little horse bites. Those hurt. Yeah. And horses can kick and mm -hmm. bite. They have four and, legs. Yeah, yeah. But ducks, they pretty much just have the beak. <laughs> so they'd be pecking at you. So you got one thing to duck, yeah. dodge. So to totally, I'd go. I'd go. Like the him and his eyes like duck. this. Yeah. And then you got a blind duck <laughs> and then you can take him out. <laughs> wow. So hopefully that answers the question. It is ask me anything. Yes. So to be fair, Robert, we, we appreciate yes. that question. Wow. Do we have more questions coming in? We have more questions. What I love this one. What are the top vanity metrics that you see hotel <laughs> managers and owners getting hung up on? And what should they be focusing on instead? I love that question. I love that question. My first answer, I have so many answers, but my first one is visits. Visits don't make you money to your website unless they actually do something. Bounce rate. Bounce rate also doesn't make you money. Open rate of email. Email list size. Yes. Facebook fan numbers. Mm -hmm. I can go on and on. Mm -hmm. Impressions on an ad. Mm. So yes. it, if you can take whatever your metric is and apply it directly to revenue you've generated, it probably is one that's worth monitoring. If all it does is make you feel good that you have a bigger number than your competitor, it's probably 
with vanity, vanity. metrics. Yeah, and I think the problem with vanity metrics is it doesn't take into account the quality of the individual metric, right? So, it, for example, we would all agree that, say, visits to the website, generally speaking, more visits is better than fewer visits, right? Because if nobody comes to your website, your website's not going to make you any money. Right. But, but not every one of those visits is made equal, right? So it could be that I have a site that gets five visitors and all five of those are really interested in my property. They're really well educated. They're ready to purchase and, and they're all going to book. But you might have a site that has 100 visitors. Only one of them is in that situation where they're ready to book. And the other 99 were coming there because you had some top 10 reasons that Star Wars is the greatest movie of all time article on the site right, right. or you're giving away an property. ipad right. right so but those 99 people although they're, they're people coming to the site the visits to the site that it's not valuable visits to the site so i, I think looking at any one metric out of context is always a vanity metric it, it's that was going to be my exact point <clears throat> thanks for stealing sorry thunder. all right go ahead I'm, let's rewind pretend i didn't say that yeah. Right. Okay, we're going backwards. Yes, I think every metric needs to be looked at in some other context. It can't just be a flat number. So visits from what? What source did those visits come in? Bounce rate. Bounce rate, it's not a bad metric. It's just looking at it as a whole in no context at all is useless. If people are coming in on a blog post and they read your blog post and they found value at it and then they left, Yes, it was a balance, but you know what? That person could come back mm -hmm. and book from you tomorrow or the next day or the day after that. Mm -hmm. You know, looking at all these things in context is right. where the value is. I'll give you another example. So time on site, mm -hmm. right? Your time on site, we, we, would, we would probably agree that the longer someone spends on your site, the more like more engaged they are, the more likely they are False. to book. So we, we would potentially say the longer they spend on your site, the, the better. False. We, but yeah. I disagree. Why? They could be lost. They could be confused. Well, that's my point, right? That it could be that you're making it hard for them. Right. Right. But generally speaking, people use time on site as it's it's going longer. That's a good thing. They're looking at more pages or something like that. Page views is another one. Page views yeah. per visit is another vanity metric because out of context, it could mean, wow, you're really engaging them, but it could also mean they can't find what they're looking for. So I think you really always got to apply that context. We did an episode. We're going to plug all these episodes so we can break the, the it was 10 uh, metrics that matter, I think is yes, what it was. That actually matter. That actually matter. Episode yeah. 22. Um, so episode 22 really talked about compound metrics, right? So it was a lot of those metrics weren't just single data points, but it was based on something else. So it was in context. And those to me are the, the metrics that you should be focused on. Did you just click on the article? Me? Yeah, click on twenty-two. Like, give, 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 like two like or three conversion of those. Conversion rate. What conversion rate? <laughs> what you know? All right, it just links to. Uh, we didn't do show notes. Right no, now. never mind. So go listen to twenty-two. You'll get a bunch of good ones. But yeah. it, it's always in context, right? So, um, for example, click-through rate on an email doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. Because if people didn't open it, they have zero chance mm -hmm. of, of, of actually clicking, clicking right? So looking at opens or clicks to opens is a, is a better measurement of the quality of the content in the email, right? right? Because it, 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 it takes out the lack of quality of the list component. On mm -hmm. its own, click-through rate 
it is beholden to the quality of the list. But well, I hate that about click through rate to start with. I feel that everyone calculate that's, that calculates that wrong. It should be based on clicks compared to opens. Right, yeah. that's what I'm saying. That's what yeah. I said in, yeah. in that blog post. Yeah. yeah, and then ultimately the click itself is only as valuable as what they do once they get to the website. You know, ultimately, are they going on to book or are they consuming the content that you wanted them to consume? Are they coming back later on? So I think there there aren't individual KPIs that you should be really focused on, but you should create a dashboard of data that in context and in harmony tells a story that is accurate and, and meaningful to your guest and your business. Harmony. That actually meaningful. That's Christmas loving spirit. This is where my it. Christmas yeah. letter. That's why. <clears throat> is there anything else you want to say on that one, Melissa? I feel like you could rant about it for another thirty minutes. I probably could, but maybe we should move on. We're at one hour, according to Miss Alyssa, who's so now not under the table anymore. Minutes. All right. And when you said yoga instructors, Bryce thought you said yogurt instructors. Uh, yogurt? If <laughs> you haven't made yogurt, you need an instructor to do it. It's tough. We got an Instapot, so we want to try making yogurt. Yeah. But it seems like it's going to be easier just to go buy yogurt. You know, you know, yep. Hey, and you know what? I wouldn't have said yogurt because that's not how I pronounce it. I pronounce it the way my dad always pronounced it. And if you tuned into last week's episode, you would know that today is my dad's birthday, Keith Frank Butler. And he uh, used to say yogurt. So that's wow. what I say, yeah. yogurt. Still weird. No, he's not watching. <clears throat> he's like 80 odd. He doesn't watch the internet. But you can he tell him happy birthday. The no, he doesn't watch the internet. Happy birthday, He watches old kung fu movies and westerns and darts. He watches darts? Oh, man. Darts is huge in England. To watch it? Moving on. Moving Quit on. making fun of Stuart's accent. <laughs> <laughs> My New Zealand accent. Oh, Scott wants to know via email, mm -hmm. I wonder if you would clarify the different component pieces of Google's hotel marketing, GHA, et cetera, as I'm not sure which are purely in the realm of the booking engine and which are directly accessible by the property, or are they only accessible for the property via the booking engine? So she's Ooh. talking about, I think he's asking, can you as an individual property get on all the different platforms? What are the platforms you can get on? Right. right? So this is Google Ads, which was AdWords versus GHA. Right. So GHA, you need to you need your booking engine to be feeding the rates in. On the rest of basically all of the other Google platforms. So search ads, display ads, the Google Display Network video, YouTube, you as the property can participate in all that, creating all of your own ad copy, like I said, video, um, imagery. Um, another big one be Google My Business, making sure that's completely optimized. Plug that episode too. Jeremy did a good one on that, um, optimizing Google My Business. But I think, if, correct me if I'm wrong, GHA is the only one that needs... Yeah, and you typically right? need... E so a third party, an intermediary, right? So right. you need the booking engine provider or or an agency that has already done the integration for for the booking engine you use. So you typically don't get to go in and manage the bits yourself as a property for GHA um, today, 
right? I think that will probably over time change because if you look back at TripAdvisor, it used to be the exact same way. You used to have, and we had clients that use our guest desk booking engine that were on TripAdvisor. They had no way to control anything. And we, we would actually, we didn't even, we had a- It was a email. daily spreadsheet. Yeah, we had to send it to a rep at TripAdvisor and they'd make a change. It was and, and you crazy. make a change and then three days later, that change will be reflected in the rate. Yeah, it was crazy. But now you can log into your TripAdvisor portal and manage your bids on mm -hmm. TripConnect, right? Okay. Um, but there was a ch point where we had to switch. We had to make that decision to switch. Um, 91 was that eight ways. Hotels episode what now? Eight, 91. And that was the optimize your Google My Business episode? <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, so I, I think ultimately GHA will probably roll into Google Ads. I think so. It's just what it feels like. That's kind of offhand of what we've been hearing from Google reps. It, it seems that soon it will become a part of that same Google Ads interface where you can manage it all. Like you're currently managing your your Google Ads or AdWords, text ads, display. Um, all of that will eventually roll in, but you're still right. going to need to be feeding the rate. Right. They, so you know, require booking I think the realignment of everything in the last six months or so where they rebranded AdWords and these other products into one Google Ads system is an indication of where they're, they're heading with the GHA platform, I think. But, you know, it could take a while. We're speculating. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, it's it's based in, you know, data that we've gathered from, yeah. the, from the horse's mouth. Yeah. But, I mean, if you want to get on GHA, which I would definitely recommend, um, a lot of folks out there can get you on there now. It depends on what booking engine provider you're using, but or channel management. Sometimes if your booking engine doesn't and you're using a channel manager like um, SiteMinder, for example, they can get you on the on the platform as well. So talk to whoever your provider is. If you run into issues, then we do provide that service through our guest desk booking engine. We can get you on the TripAdvisor and Google Hotel ads. So just give us a shout at Fuel Travel as well. Plug. That's our first plug of the episode. That was the first booking engine plug of the episode. Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? We're over an hour in. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Very humble. <clears throat> humble brag. Is that what it is? Called? Yeah, humble brag. All right. We got any more? Oh, we got we got more. Um, this one is similar to one that we answered, but I think. property in the area. I'm wondering what you suggest is best practices in order to capitalize on our marketing efforts. Do we focus on promoting our property and letting guests put together their own travel activity arrangements or spend effort creating alliances and packages with local providers in order to ease the travel burden and activity planning? Mm -hmm. uh, further, is there any reasonable value in advertising ourselves into these larger markets via AdWords or Facebook marketing? Yeah, so similar, but a little different yeah, a little than the Italy different. conversation. Uh, instead, they're they're close. They're definitely close to touristy destinations, kind of mm -hmm. like we touched on with that Italy. Uh, but what I think what he was really getting at here is, um, is it on the property to try to create an itinerary, or do they start working with um, local providers to? help that activity planning it's it's nice if you're a guest to be able to add an additional service of you know let's say they're in he didn't certainly he said on an island so let's say a, a dive trip but you had to be very careful because every time we've seen hotels try to partner with third parties and fulfill 
random things, it always turns into a massive pain in the ass for that property because it was rainy and the dive trip was canceled. And now who's refunding the person for the dive trip that the person didn't go on? Also, who gets the bad review when it's uh, right? Uh, it's not an experience you can control. Right. So, yeah. you know, and also you don't necessarily want to spend a ton of money promoting. I'm going back to the dive trip example mm -hmm. because you're not making really, you might make a little spiff on it but you're not making any money off of that dive trip. Mm -hmm. And you're basically putting your entire ROAS on somebody wanting to do a dive trip and then wanting to set your property and then choosing the dive trip that you actually partner with. There's, there's too many chains, links in that chain, that you should gr create great content about dive trips. You should link out to people. Maybe you work out some type of affiliate program where if you send traffic to them, you get a cut after the person's booked, but not necessarily to create this whole ecosystem around yeah. you managing it. Yeah. There's always a benefit to relationships in your local area, right? And the more people, you know, the more people are going to refer you. That's positive word of mouth and, and brand awareness. So I definitely think you want to work with those folks, but I agree with Pete in terms of the, the level to which you work. I don't think you want to get into the package business. I just, a lot of people are trying to get into that now. And I just, I don't <laughs> think that's how people travel. You know, they travel, they maybe have one or two things, that they know they're going to do, but the rest they want to kind of wing. So provide value in the form of content of choices in recommendations, but don't, don't get in intertwined with the actual transaction. I would say when it comes to the itineraries and don't spend a lot of time creating some elaborate itinerary builder tool. People just don't use them. It's, it's not something that I think is worth your effort as an individual property. If you had a lot of things on property that they could do and, and then that kind of makes more sense. Mm -hmm. But if all of the activities in your area are through third party, that's, I think that's when that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Then the other part of the question was, should I spend money advertising to in those market to people looking at those markets? So you were near Honolulu, for example, would, would you bid on Honolulu keywords to try to capture people? I, I don't think that would be cost effective. I think that's a stretch. It's probably playing a high CPC in the, to persuade someone that has an intent to go one way to divert them somewhere else. I think is the return is probably not going to be there. always be really. testing. Yeah. yeah. I, is it worth testing? Absolutely. But, um, but, but don't just don't go broad with it. You don't go bidding on hotels in Honolulu if you're not in Honolulu. Um, what I mean, day trips from we're going back to that type of thing. Yeah, what, be, what specific, are you reading? Yeah. Um, be specific and you're, you don't want to trick anybody or confuse anybody to think you're something you're not. Yeah. So so if it's if it's a day trip from or if it's um, places to stay in between destination A and B, if that's what you mm -hmm. are, go ahead and try that out. Like he said, mm -hmm. test it. See if see if there's any traction there at all. If there is go for it. You can dominate it because you're already obviously the dominant property in your area. Mm -hmm. um, it may be worth it, but don't go broad. Stick to the mm -hmm. very specific long tail type keywords. If you're going on on AdWords, like uh, search ad advertising um, for Facebook. I mean, I guess the same thing, right? Maybe targeting. Yeah, yeah you could because it's cheaper on you Facebook. It's cheaper on Facebook. You can you can test it out, see see it, what it does for you. But yeah, again, I I would focus more on building relationships with travel agents in that mm -hmm. scenario, right? The folks that are sending the people to those destinations, 
work that relationship to try to get them mm -hmm. they're already engaging with a customer yeah. give them an incentive to push people to you as well yep for or, day jobs and, and just like. the actual providers you know the guy who runs the dive boat make sure you're his favorite person mm -hmm. because yeah. people are going to be booking the dive trip and then they're going to figure out where they're going to stay like we said before mm -hmm. people go to a destination for the destination and they want to just stay somewhere so they have a right. place to sleep yeah. so if you become best friends with that dive master mm -hmm. he's going to say oh you need to stay at right. this property yeah buy him a bottle of bourbon for his birthday and yeah. send him a present at christmas and you know really butter them up and work their relationship because that's going to pay dividends mm -hmm. for sure all right. Yeah, so I, that was a good question. Even though it was similar, I think there was some nuances to it. Mm -hmm. that, that was good. We're going to hear another question? Yeah. This one is, what are some of your top predictions for 2019? Any major changes or industry shifts? Who wants to have a stab at that one? I do. You don't have to raise your hand. Sorry. Uh, for Riska, yes, sir. Thank you. Um, I think voice search is something that we should be paying attention to as it becomes more popular. Um, we're starting to see quite a bit of voice search type queries within our um, search console, within triggering our search ads and, and Google ads. Um, things like, like schema markup on your site are becoming increasingly important to answer these type of questions uh, and, and with the explosion of voice search devices. I mean, stemming, I have, I have 10 echoes time. in my house now. Yeah, I have 10. <laughs> He's using them all. Yeah, they all get used. I just got a Fire TV Cube. It's the bomb. You should all get one. It was like 50 bucks on Black Friday. It was crazy. Yeah, the, I, I just, I think that's that's one of those, it hasn't, it hasn't broken into the hotel marketing like it has for other verticals, but I, I see it becoming more prevalent. Like I said, I'm seeing more and more question type queries show up. Yeah, you can see if you Google go to those. Google, um, what is it called now? I want to say Webmaster Tools, Search Console. If you go to Search Console and look at your keywords, there's a lot that start with OK Google now, a, or a ton. Even even more specifically, when you're in when you're in Google Ads and you and you do your search terms report and see what's actually triggering your search ads. Um, the searches that come through, uh, it's not necessarily, uh, I see it as people asking their phone a question because yeah. it's an okay Google yeah. and then it's pulling up the web page. It's not necessarily your, your right. echo or your, right, your right, Google right. Home, for sure. People are asking their phones questions more so than they ever have in the past. So yeah. that type of stuff is, is it, it's, I, I feel like that's. <laughs> have you noticed how people are a little more polite when they use their voice versus type as well? They're using, you see a lot more keywords please. with please and thank yous <laughs> in it versus just show me this. Well, that's the rising influence. Well, yeah, yeah there's, there's also the, you know, the sh word show or, uh, you know, it's more question than just, you know, if you're searching for Honolulu hotels, if you typed, you wouldn't just say, hey, Siri, Honolulu hotels, you'd say, hey, Siri, show me, show me hotels, in hotels in Honolulu. So it's more conversational. So, it's, it's, well, that changes the type of queries I feel like are, are coming up as well. So yeah. the things that you're optimizing for, though, um, when you're when you're looking at search volumes, uh, I feel like it's a little skewed now because where it used to be something like Honolulu hotels, um, you're, you're seeing now more instances of hotels in Honolulu. Now, I know those are semantically relevant. They should be showing the same results. Uh, says Google. We know they don't. 
yeah. we, we see it. Um, we see it every day in, in the search engine results page of who's ranking where on the page differs when it's something even mm -hmm. that similar. Right. And well, I think it, they're getting longer as well. Some of the keywords mm -hmm. are getting more specific right. and granular yeah. as well. In Google at uh, the Focusrite conference a couple of weeks ago, they announced that they're working on launching voice bookings for hotels. Right. So, yeah, yeah I think you've got to really pay attention yeah, to voice. Yeah, and Expedia is doing the same thing yeah. as well. So. Yeah, if someone says, okay, Google, book the you know, Marriott yeah. and Soho mm -hmm. for December Right. Yeah. I mean, they said 20% of Google, 20% of Google's mobile search is voice. Yeah. And they're moving into where you can say, book me this hotel. Mm -hmm. You better be ready for this to right. be one of the early adopters. And you really need to think about voice as the same way you think about internet, right? In terms of it's a fundamental shift in consumer behavior. And it's not just, we're not just talking about an echo in the house. We're not just talking about how you talk to your phone to find out and book a hotel room. We're not just talking about having an echo in the hotel room itself to control the thermostat or the lights or whatever. It's fundamentally a shift in how humans interact with technology. And we, we all talk to devices today more than we did a year ago. And we'll talk to devices more two years from now more than we do today. My, literally my house right now, I'm, I'm getting it to the point I want everything controlled. Like I'm adding bits and bobs all the time, like lights and the TV system, like I said, the thermostat. I want it voice controlled. It's so much more frictionless as, mm -hmm. as, to, to do it that way. It, it takes me a lot less time to find a show on TV than to scroll through whatever, mm -hmm. right? So. I, I fundamentally think we're shifting as a society. So you've got to think about this, not just as how does this affect bookings, but how does this affect everything Life. I do as a hotel? Yeah. Well, right and now. also how do your customers behave? Right. You, like you don't want to make them have to go outside their comfort zone and type on this archaic keyboard when they're used to just right. asking the computer to do it for them. Exactly. Because you guess what? Your competitors, in this case, OTAs and Google, are gonna be way ahead of you, right? And and they're gonna get a bigger slice of the new opportunity and market share if you're not on this bandwagon. So I think you need to, we did an episode, Pete, if you wanna look it up, we did is SEO dead, always voice search killing SEO. And in that we gave specific examples of things you can do to optimize your website today for voice search. Wasn't that episode 87? I love how you pretend like you remember the moment <laughs> even though you're pulling it up. 80 what, 87? Yeah. So yeah, is is SEO being killed by voice search? It's very tangible. So that's one perspective. But you've also got to think about it from the perspective of in the hotel room, mm -hmm. if all these guests now are used to in their home controlling things with their voice, when they go to a hotel, they expect the same creature comforts. They're not going to want to go back into the dark ages of having to flip a switch or press a button on a thermostat. Over time, I'm not saying this year or next year, but over time, I think the expectation is going to be just like Wi-Fi was. It started out, well, some hotels had it and then it was paid. And now you don't go places unless it's free Wi-Fi, right? Or, or you, it's part of the loyalty program. So I think voice control of the room is going to get to that point. It might take a few years, but it's going to get to that point. Order me a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> just to yeah. say it to your hotel room. And, we, and we're a Call ways away, pizza. right? We are a ways away from that true interaction. The AI isn't, isn't sophisticated enough to really understand, book a hotel for me in, in New York and it just do it because there's so many considerations. Who am I traveling with? When am I traveling? What, you know, what kind of budget do I have? Where am I going in New York? 
there's a lot of things. So I think what we'll see is voice um, when I'm booking is going to become conversational where it's going to ask me qualifying questions. So I want to book a hotel in New York. Okay. When are you traveling? These are the days. Okay. Who are you traveling with? And it's going to get to the point and then it will remember what I booked last time and build a profile and be smarter each time I do it. So try it out with your, you know, Echo or Google Home, whatever you have at home. It's, it's kind of fun to figure out what you had to ask. In my case, Alexa, because I said, Alexa, I need a hotel room in Atlanta next week. You just set off everyone listening to this on speaker. Okay, Google, book me a hotel in Atlanta. Hey, Siri. So, but the, the point is, is that do it and see what comes back. Because when I did that, I said the top four hotels in Atlanta yeah. are. It's it's new, right? Yeah. It's going to take a while. I'm sorry. The hey other Siri, go to fueltravel.com. <laughs> <laughs> hey Siri, subscribe to the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Okay. Oh, you added that. Per our discussion from this morning, Stuart, when you use voice control comes the lingering issue of what am I missing? I may know what I want, but perhaps there's something I may want more if exposed to it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically, can the machine help me make a better decision? And and I think voice and AI can really help me get to that point. But it's, it again, it's going to take some time to get there because, I mean, look at pizza, for example, right? We, I, I'm assuming you guys know what pizza is, right? Everyone? Oh, um, have you ever eaten pizza? No. It's delicious. <laughs> You've dabbled you with dabbled pizza. In pizza. <laughs> um, have you ever ordered it online or through a mobile yeah. app? Yep. Have you ever ordered it with your voice? I haven't. Yeah, me either. Why? I don't know why. I always go to the app, even though I know it's available. And if I try it a couple of times, because I always get the same thing, you know, that's the fear, right? There's a fear there. There's an uncertainty there right now, which is preventing me from. Well, you have to also be more vested in your pizza service. I got I'm Domino's, let's say. So I have to have my account, and I got to say, order me my usual or this, and then it's like, do I get the best coupon? I mean, but that's the thing. There's uncertainty, thing, yeah. right? In the voice, there's uncertainty. You don't have the control. And, and we as consumers want to have complete control and certainty and no doubt. And, and I mm -hmm. think we're missing some of that right now in voice. I think the technology will overcome that. If you knew with 100% certainty that when you say, Alexa, order my usual from Domino's, and that's all you have to say, you get the same pizza. It's going to be here in 30 minutes. It's going to charge your credit card. Will like I normal. have Will I have a breathalyzer on my Alexa for that day? <laughs> yeah. Pizza. Hey, Alexa, I want a pizza. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, Alexa, I want another pizza. And then all of a sudden I got like That's a funny. caravan of cars. Can you add that to Amazon? That's yeah. funny. Amazon. We, we can tell the Misha story there. Do you remember that when that happened? Pizza. Call me pizza. She was drunk one night. Misha used to be on the show, used to be a fuel organ. She might be watching, falling out, I don't know. But she she tried to call pizza one night after a few beverages, and she was saying, call me pizza, call me pizza. And in the morning, she woke up, and Siri was calling her pizza. Yeah, that her, was yeah. her new name. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Too funny. Yeah. Well, I think we have uh, one more question here from Lauren Gray. It says, question for the group. How do you accurately calculate lifetime value of a guest? Holy Dang. cow. Thanks, Lauren. All right, Lauren. And that's the end of the show, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I, I honestly I don't, don't think, think anybody is. I don't think anyone's doing it. I don't it think you should anymore. It's right what we started talking about at the top of the show, right? So what data do you collect on? Keep it. 
I don't know. Just say you should measure lifetime value. I don't know. Because, yeah, because you're going to pay more for that first guest. Yeah, always, right? And you're willing to dabble in channels. I'm willing to take an Expedia guest that's a first-time guest more than, you know, someone that stayed with me before. I'm I'm happy to take them from Expedia knowing that I can get the data and remarket to them and get them as a direct guest. So there's certain channels which I'll I'll accept a lower ROI from to get the first-time guest knowing that I can have them stay. And I think, Matt, it's, it's your hotel. I mean, it. What is the profitability of a single guest? Yeah. That really is what's going to yeah, factor that in. Because it's yeah. property. Jeez, I mean, it's someone yeah. who keeps renewing in one of those. Right, and that's why you can't just say, "Oh, blanket value." It's this because in extended stay, we have a client who has guests who have literally been at the property for over twelve years. Right. The what's value the of one of those guests is whatever yeah. they spent to get that guest in the door. It was worth been it. Blown out of the water yeah. and completely screws those kind of metrics up. Yeah. So yeah, but they the same as they probably can't. They don't know the origin of that guest mm-hmm. because it was twelve years ago and they probably went tracking. Okay. So I think, you know, to Lauren's, I, I think it's kind of a trick question, which is a great question from Lauren. But but I think always be tracking, which is <laughs> Melissa's new replacement of always be testing from the last couple of episodes. ABC can fit a lot of things. Yeah, but you always always be tracking everything, but. The challenge you're going to have is a lot of your legacy infrastructure, which is where the data, portfolio data is. I mean, how many times, Pete, have you seen one of our clients that's using one of these old school PMSs where they don't even match folios? Right. So Pete could have stayed four times at the property and it's four different people, according to the software. Yep. So, so there isn't really a golden record that tracks that. And, and the challenge you're going to have over time is how people book is going to be different because 10 years ago, people probably were booking over the phone and then they were probably booking on the website and then they were probably booking on the mobile website and then they were probably booking on the mobile app and then they're probably booking on Echo. Well, that's why you got to have a great PMS and data platform that can make sure Stuart from 10 years ago is Stuart. Right. That you have a golden record of the guests, right? Which is what we're trying to do. And this is the second shameless plug of the episode mm-hmm. with our new CRM platform, our fuel mail pr- platform, right? Where we're trying to aggregate data from the PMS, from the website, from the mobile app, from email into a single golden record so that we can measure lifetime value. But the data is incomplete. But, but I would say to Lauren's point that looking at return on investment. From a from the myopic ver, myopic view of what is my ROI for this booking from this campaign is is just I, I think it's a little limiting, right? You've got to consider what type of property you are because <coughs> if you're if you're a property in say the Caribbean, people probably are not going to come there, or, or Hawaii, people are probably not going to come there every year. Right? It might be a once every five, 10 year kind of a thing or once in a lifetime kind of a trip. But if you're in a Panama City Beach or a Model Beach, they might be coming back every year. So your lifetime value opportunity can be a lot higher if you're in one of those repeat destinations. Same with New York, right? New York, I don't know a lot of people that necessarily stay at the same hotel every time they go. Or Depends why they're going, what conference it is, where it is, who they're traveling with. You know, there's, there's more choice. So I might stay at a hotel in New York once every three years versus Model Beach once every year. So I think I think there's some context to it, but it, it, it does come down to data at the end of the day. Can you can you measure it, number one? And if you can't, how do you work towards that? Choosing the right software vendors, I think, is an important part of that. We got another one. We got time? Sure. What time is it? All right. Yeah, we'll probably take one or two more, and then we'll wrap I, it up. I like this one since it's uh, timely. 
Uh, what does the team think about the proliferation of Black Friday and Cyber Monday in the travel industry? It I makes bubbles. I think it's getting played out. I think people are becoming <clears throat> a little immune to it. I somewhat disagree based on the numbers I just saw from what we just did. Let, well, let, let me <clears throat> restate that. I think that there's a, a, a cap on it. I don't disagree with that at all. So, Melissa, People are still going to purchase, but I don't think you can get exponentially 100% more revenue every year from well, it. Well, the growth is gone, right? right? Because yeah. it really started as a phenomenon, I would say, five years ago-ish, six maybe, um, where people really started beginning to do it. And, right. and we've seen exponential growth. And Up until about two years until ago. Until about two years ago. And it ago, has plateaued right? since then. But it was arbitrage. It was new. It was sure. exciting, right? And, and really, honestly, in, in retail... Black Friday wasn't as big as it is today until the last decade either. I mean, it's always kind of been a thing, but it wasn't quite as bananas people beating the crap out of each other at Walmart, right? But until the last, consumerism has changed, media has exploded it. It is an opportunity to sell and people are primed to spend. So I think you would be crazy as a hotelier not to take advantage of it. Don't but expect it also, continued growth, but it is valuable. I mean, it, it, one, it, it creates a, a giant bubble of bookings, which, from an analytics perspective, then you got to compare that to, you know, times in the past, which are they new bookings or are they just, are you just shifting the booking window? Yeah. But if but you are not. shifting the booking window, that's good because now okay. you have a, basically you said, okay, from an occupancy perspective, mm -hmm. this is my benchmark. And now mm -hmm. I can start managing and yielding my rate up. Because I know I already have you know my summer taken care yeah. of to an extent. I, I'm a fan of the concept. I think you're right, Melissa, in terms of it's played out in terms of, getting close to its peak yeah but but i don't think it has to be singly reserved for just black friday i've seen clients that have created their own events mm -hmm. prime day kind of thing right where mm -hmm. you, you beginning of february is another day or end of february is what some folks do where it's prior to when people typically have booked but you know people are beginning to plan but i think if you're going to have this strategy where you're going to go in really aggressive with black friday or with your own event which i think you should create two or three of those a year that should be your lowest rate of the year you should not ever 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 go under that because you're just going to erode the impact of it yeah. and you shouldn't go so low that it hurts you because the the, the benefit of it is getting heads in in the books early so you've got a better opportunity to yield your rates up. So you should always be trying to get occupancy further and further out, even though that's against the trend, people tend to book closer and closer. So we're trying to buck that trend. But if you if you then start saying, oh, I'm, I'm not full this weekend, and that rate starts coming back down to below that, I, I think that's where you're gonna get in trouble. You gotta be you know? disciplined for sure. Yeah. If your revenue manager is not disciplined, it yeah. can be very, dangerous yeah and you've got to accept the fact that you might go with unsold inventory with this strategy but long term you're going to hold a higher rate and you're going to make more profit doing that sometimes the best thing you can do as a rate manager is to hold your rate and let that room go unsold sometimes and and i don't think many people have that discipline and they people, more people need it so for that reason I, I really like the phenomena as a consumer i love it i spent a ton of money i bought all my christmas stuff on Black Friday and Cyber Monday this weekend. Yeah, so. like I, I, I told my family about it over Thanksgiving. It's like you should see some of the deals that my clients are running for for Black Friday. And I'm like, I didn't know hotels did that. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I feel like 
there's opportunity still. There are some sure. people who it's still not the don't same group. know it's a thing, but I'm, I think that's more to your point is people think of this as a retail shopping, a Christmas shopping, not booking their vacation mm -hmm. or a hotel stay in the future, running your own event, reaching yeah. your existing audience. And, and promoting your own event with mm -hmm. the best sale of the year at a different time than Black Friday where you're competing with the rest of the retail world, it's it may be better off. Well, I, I don't think it's mutually exclusive though, right? Because I think I think people are primed to spend money on Black Friday weekend inside Monday, right? And, and it's extended. I don't know if you saw that. This year. Amazon started the Monday before yeah. and people are still running through the Friday after Cyber Monday. So it's become right. a two week event, event you know? Interestingly, this this doesn't exist outside of America, right? Because it, it's a Thanksgiving related thing. So in Europe, th that phenomena doesn't happen, but people are still kind of booking at different paces. And, and people are trying, we turkey at Christmas. Um, but there are other events to your point, like there's, um, I wanna say it's the end of January is National Book Your Vacation Day in what? the US. Of course. Um, which was something that, I, I don't know, some tourism folks try to create years ago, but no one really got behind. But it, as an industry, that would be a, for, especially for, you know, summer destination type places to get people to book in January would be way, way better than, than waiting till or you know, March, uh, April, May. Say you're a winter vacation destination. Christmas like in July. Month. Yeah. yeah. Start, start so, so you can, July. my point is you can create your own events and make them an event. And it's different than just sending out an email blast saying 40% off. It's teasing people. It's making exclusive. It's it's selling the hype and the excitement and guaranteeing that these are the lowest rates you're going to get and building up that anticipation and expectation. The first time you do that, if you're trying to do it on your own, it's not probably going to do the best, but that doesn't mean you should get discouraged and not do it because the first time some of our clients did Cyber Monday, it didn't do the best. But you know what? Each year they did it, there were more and more people jumped on the bandwagon. And, and now, I mean, we have clients that make literally millions of dollars on that one or two day weekend. It's crazy. And they have to really staff their, their call centers mm -hmm. for those weekends as well. Are we going to do one more? I don't know if we can physically do that, but let's see. Any more questions? Are we, we done? We have one from Lauren, but we're having trouble deciphering it. Right. Lauren speaks um, <laughs> Klingon, I think. So, yeah. yeah. I'll read it and maybe, maybe you can decipher it. Okay. If you could reduce the steps a guest would use before booking, what? What? Right. Yeah. What questions? Do those three questions answer for that to happen? What, or is he saying uh, that there's three questions that a guest asks before booking? Well, I, I think it, I, I'm deciphering a little bit, but I think it's about. Yeah, it, I mean, he's listening, right? He can he can clarify if he wants. What I think he's trying to say is, we know as marketers or hoteliers what the potential hurdles, roadblocks, questions, fears, uncertainties are in the booking process. So which of those can we anticipate and take care of? And we talk a lot on the show about friction, right? And friction come, can be reduced in two ways. You can either remove roadblocks, stuff that's in their way. An example of that would be on mobile devices, making it easy for them to fill out forms. So when they start typing in an address, 
predict what the address is and auto populate the city state zip, right? So they don't have to type as much. It could be scanning the um, credit card instead of having to type in the number. And I don't know if you've seen this. I just saw it for the first time in the last couple of weeks when I was ordering stuff on my phone over Cyber Weekend. But um, the iPhone now in Safari does predictive filling in. So when mm -hmm. you select a, a form field, at the bottom, you know, when you start typing, it will do auto suggest as yeah. you're typing. Before you type anything, if it's first name, it will know what your first name is and suggest it. Your address, it will, pre it will any addresses that you have, it will suggest it. And it, it. automatically yeah. says next field as soon as you select yeah, it. Yeah, like, and you boom, just, boom, 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 boom. so you just literally click the field, <laughs> click the, the response. So you're not typing at all. And it now even does it with credit card where it's not part of the website. It's part of, it's native to Safari, where if you click in a credit card field, you can now click scan the credit card. That's not new. They've had that for at least a year or so. I've never seen I've it. Never seen I never I use it all the time. Before. See, I only really order on Amazon. So this is the first uh, time I went off and ordered on Walmart <laughs> and Target and other mm. stuff. But that reduces friction, right? So that, not necessarily answering the question of what questions they have, but reducing friction is, is moving stuff out of the way. So for example, they might want to know how close you are to the airport, or they might want to know how close you are to the beach. So answering those questions, I think, throughout the funnel, contextually, makes a lot of sense. The other way to reduce friction is to nudge people, to shove them through through the funnel by creating, using psychology, that we talked about a lot on the show, social proof, fear of missing out, urgency, stuff like that, and, and trying to push Showing people. Showing that they're getting the best rate possible. Yeah, best rate guarantee. As close to what they yeah. expected. Hurry, yeah. only urgency. two units left, yeah. you know. 300 people have booked this in the last oh, four okay. days. Those kind of tactics can really work um, effectively at reducing friction. But I, I think for most consumers, you can guess what, what their consideration points are going to be. It's going to be price. It's going to be location. It's going to be amenities. It's going to be the quality of the product. So you want to make sure you answer any questions related to those and there's no ambiguity. And I think you can get people through the conversion funnel a bit quicker. I don't know if that answered the question or not. Hey. All right. Well, I'm sure we can follow up. If, if if that wasn't the question, Lauren, you can shoot us an email and we'll answer on the next episode, which will be 101. Ooh. Which will be two. That's right. Yep. In numerology, right? Hey, Pete. Hey. It would be remiss of me on a live show <clears throat> if I were not to ask you. I know I've had a lot of people ask me, how the bees? So the bees are all still dead. Okay. But <laughs> no <laughs> resurrection. Well, no, because now we're heading into the winter. There's really no reason to... To do anything, with kill them those. again. So, yeah. so they're already dead. So what I'm doing? Do they hibernate during the winter? Like they, they come down to a, a small size. They, like they shrink like Ant Man. Exactly. That's exactly what they do. No, no but like, do they have to wear a suit like Ant Man? They do. They have little goggles and everything. It's okay. Cute. Awesome. But no, what they do is they kind of go down to the minimum size hive needed based on the supplies that they have. So they just like warm. kick out the worker bees that they don't need? Well, they actually, the, the queen stopped laying eggs. So, so she's not producing off. new. How long a, does a bee live? Uh, I think like a couple weeks or so. What? Yeah. That's we, it? Really? Did you we make that a, up? We had a bee debate the other day. And I don't so think you're here for it. We did have a bee debate. So is the queen the only female in the hive? No. There are a bunch of females. Every right? bee that you see outside okay. the hive is a female. No. The queen is the only one that actually can reproduce. Right. So the male bees are the ones that are in the hive. Male bees are in the hive. Seven go. weeks. Wow. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, Unless Pete's keeping them. Yeah. 
If Pete's because they stay inside two days. So. Yeah, yeah I, I killed them all. But no, so I've figured out where I can buy newbies in the springtime. Mm-hmm. So then newbies. come springtime, we'll get newbies. Newbies. Awesome. Newbies. Ooh-hoo. Well, thank you for tuning in to this riveting conversation about bees and hotel marketing. Hopefully you found it valuable. If this is your first time ever finding the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast, you can go and subscribe. We've got 99 prior episodes. We referenced a lot of them today. Lots and lots of cool information. You can go get that on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play or anywhere you get podcasts. Spotify Spotify now. Yeah, just search for Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Uh, You can get us there. Go subscribe. We publish typically about every other week, um, sometimes once weekly if there's a lot of news going on. But if you have questions that we didn't get to answer today for a future episode, you can always hit us up on Twitter at Fuel Travel. You can also email us info at fueltravel.com, and we typically will try to answer those on the show as well. So before we go, Pete, where can they find you on the web? They can find me on Twitter at P DiMeo, P-D-I-M-A-I-O. It's a nice way. Thank you. Jeremy, where can they find you? They can find me at at... Jeremy Razook, R-A-Z-O-O-K on Twitter. And really on Twitter now? It is on Twitter. I figured it out. You were just on Tumblr, yeah. and now you're on Twitter as well. Yeah, you're you could work in digital marketing now. You could work in digital marketing now that you understand social that media. Yeah, that's it. true. Yeah. Melissa, where can I find you? I'm on Twitter at M-A-Kavanagh, M-A-K-A-V-A-N-A-G-H. And Phil? You can find me on Twitter at P-Fariska, P-F-O-R-I-S-K-A. And Alyssa's over there. Thank you for recording the show. And she clapped herself. That's nice. You can find me at Stuart Butler. You can find us collectively at Fuel Travel. Uh, there's not going to be notes to this because I don't really want to sit there and type out all the questions well, yeah, the question. and answers. Yeah, we can put the questions in, but then you have to listen back if you want to read. No, they get to listen back. Yeah. They don't oh, have yeah, to. Just, just right. put the, the time of the episode that they can fast forward to to get the answer. Yeah, that sounds like work. <laughs> I don't know. I I'm, forgot I, you don't do that. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, I've all already got a lot of work because i got to figure out because I didn't start my garage band. I've got to go garage, and strip this band. out from the video anyway and hope he the audio is good. garage band, America. I do. Y'all get <laughs> So um, happy birthday, Dad. And until next time. Happy birthday. You've been watching the Fuel Hotel Marketing Podcast. Are we live, Alyssa? Yes, you can speak. It's okay. Is this thing on? Are we there yet? Everything is broken. Don't you know? (laughs) Tune back in. Something else.